We've all heard the phrase, all good things must come to an end. In our passage here this morning, we're going to see a transition that takes place. Something that was good, that God instituted in the Old Testament, that is going to come to an end. But the great thing is, is that something better comes. We'll look at, in our passage this morning, something that many people call the Last Supper. It's the Last Supper. We would call it that because it was the last meal that was eaten under the Old Covenant by Jesus and His disciples. But it would also be right to call this the First Supper because it was the meal that inaugurates the New Covenant. Jesus puts that on display for His disciples as they celebrate the Passover together. But Jesus takes this Passover meal that they're going to celebrate, and and what Jesus does, as we're going to see here, is Jesus transforms it. He transforms this meal into what we now celebrate in the church today, the Lord's table or communion. That's what we're going to be looking at in verses 22 through 26 of Mark 14. If you remember from last week, we looked at verses 12 through 25, and we saw, first of all, the preparations for the Passover. The preparations for the Passover. We saw this in verses 12 through 16, and we saw how how Jesus chose two of his disciples. We know who that is. It was Peter and John. He chose these two men to go into the city of Jerusalem to prepare for Jesus and the twelve to celebrate the Passover meal together. If you remember, we talked about how Jesus kept it a secret. This was a secret meal. It was a secret time. Peter and John didn't know where it was going to be held. They didn't know where this meal was going to be partaken of together. But Jesus gave them instructions to go and find a man carrying a pitcher of water. Which was something that only women did. And so this man would have stood out to these men as they walked into the city of Jerusalem. Jesus then told Peter and John to follow that man to a house and they were to say to the owner of that house, the teacher has need of your guest room. This owner had a a guest room then that was all set up and ready to go for these guys to eat this final meal, this Passover meal together. But if you remember, we talked about how Jesus had to keep all of this a secret. It was all a secret because he had to hide it from who? From Judas. He had to hide it from Judas. Judas could not find out the location of this meal, of this Passover meal, because Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. And if Judas knew the location of where they were eating, he would have told the Sanhedrin and the guards who would have then come to arrest Jesus there in that upper room, and then Jesus wouldn't have been able to celebrate the Passover meal with his 12 disciples. And so Jesus kept all of this a secret because he knew that Judas was going to betray him. Which is what we saw in our second point, the prediction during the Passover. The prediction during the Passover in verses 17 through 21. Now, last time we didn't have time to go into the whole meal and all that was going on at the Passover. I told you about some of the elements that were there at the Passover, but this morning I want to give you a better understanding of what took place at this meal. All of the elements and everything that was involved. And so before we get into our third point, And our our text for this morning, let me give you some details so that you can understand this better and all that's going on at this Passover meal. They, that is Jesus and the disciples, they they come into the upper room where Peter and John and, and, and possibly the homeowner have prepared everything for them. It's all ready to go. The Passover is ready for them to partake of. In fact, in Luke twenty two fifteen, 15, Jesus said, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
Jesus has desired this. This is why Judas couldn't know where they were going to eat. Because Jesus desired with a desire. It's very strong language there in the Greek. He really, really desired to eat this Passover meal with these disciples. Why did he desire it so much? Because his whole life has been leading up to this final meal. This is the final meal. This is the final Passover. It's all been leading up to this. He's going to eat, and then he's going to go to the cross, and he's going to inaugurate the new covenant as the final Passover lamb. But he's at this home here in the upper room with his disciples, and Jesus is the host. Remember, Jesus has made the plans for all of this. He worked it out with the homeowner before, making sure that he and his disciples could go and celebrate Passover in this upper room. And Jesus is the host, then, of this meal with his disciples. And in those days, if you were hosting the meal, when your family members and guests came over to your house, you would have your servant or your slave wash their feet. It was a, a gesture of, of love and kindness and friendship as they would come into your home. You would have your servant. It was, it was the task of the, the lowest class of people to wash the feet of all those who came into your home. But this night... Jesus was the servant. Jesus was the one who acted as the lowest class of people. He's not only the host, but he's also the servant. And he's there to serve these men. And in John 13, we read about Jesus getting up and going around the table and washing the disciples' what? Feet. He acts as a servant. He acts as a slave as he humbles himself and he goes around that table as they're all laying there and he washes his disciples' feet. As I said last time, the men would be there lying around the table for this meal with their head towards the table and then their feet out away from them on these couches. John was to the right of of Jesus, and Judas was to the left of Jesus. Why was this? Why was John to the right and Judas to the left? Well, those who were there and that would show up to this meal, they would wrap themselves around the table, either from oldest to youngest, or, listen to this, from most important to least important. Who's to the right of Jesus? The disciple whom Jesus what? Loved. Who's to the left of Jesus? Judas Iscariot. And so John, the disciple that Jesus loved, is to the right as the table then wraps all the way around. And then it would be Judas on his left. And Jesus goes around the table then and he washes his disciples' feet. And then after he's done washing their feet, he goes and sits down. Now, Jesus, as I said, is, is the host of this meal. He's the one who made all the arrangements with the owner of the house to use this large upper room that would be up above his, up above his ceiling, the upper part of his home there. And in front of them, then, would be a table. There would be a table that would have roasted lamb, Four cups of red wine that was diluted with water. Unleavened bread. There would be bitter herbs there. Kind of a sauce of, of bitter herbs like horseradish. And then there would be a sauce made from apples, nuts, wine, and spices. And then you would have a vegetable that's there on the table. Usually it was parsley that they had. And so that's, that's the setting before them. That's the table laid out. And what Peter and John and possibly the homeowner have prepared for the disciples and Jesus to come and partake of as they celebrate the Passover. Now, the entire meal would have taken around four hours. This is a long meal. 
And we could break this up, this meal up, by the drinking of the four cups of red wine with the main meal then in the middle of those four cups. So you would have two cups, a main meal, and two cups. Now, why are there four cups for them that are laid out on this table? Well, turn over with me to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6. I want to show you what happens over in Exodus 6. As, as God is speaking with Moses. We're going to see four I will statements that God gives in Exodus 6, beginning in verse 6. Notice what it says there. God says to Moses, Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Those two verses right there, there are four I will statements that are there. Those first four. Where God says, I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt. Then he says, I will deliver you from their bondage. Then he says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And then he says, I will take you for my people. Four I will statements there. And every one of those four cups of red wine represented those four I will statements. Four cups, four I wills, and then the whole Passover was structured around those four cups. And so you would have two cups at the beginning of this meal with some things that happen, and we'll talk through those. Then you would have the main course, the main meal, the lamb that they've all been waiting for. You would eat that, and then after you partake of the lamb, then you would have two more cups to drink. And there were some things then that happened around those two cups. And so let me just walk you through this meal. Now as the night went along, although you had four cups of red wine, there was also a common cup of wine that when they were not celebrating or going through the rituals of the Passover, as, as the men would come in or family members would come into the home, as they would gather in, there was a common cup that if you were thirsty, you could just go and drink from the common cup. But you didn't drink from the common cup once you got into the Passover meal. At that time, it was these four cups then that you were focused on. In the middle of the meal, when you're partaking of the lamb, you could have the common cup. But before that time and after that time, it was focused around these four cups. Two cups at the middle, two cups at the end. And so as, as the Passover meal then begins, first it would start with a prayer of thanksgiving. Jesus being the host, the host would be the one who would offer up this prayer of thanksgiving. And so Jesus being the host, of this meal, he's the one then who offers up the prayer of thanksgiving and begins now this meal. After this prayer of thanksgiving, then they would pass around the first cup. The first cup. And everyone would drink out of the first cup. And here's the name of the first cup. It was called the cup of sanctification. The cup of sanctification. Why the cup of sanctification? Because Exodus 6 and verse 6, God says, I will bring you out. That is, I will set you apart. That's the word sanctification, means to be set apart. God says, I will sanctify you, Israel. And so that first cup was called the cup of sanctification. And it was the drinking then of this cup that really started the meal. Now, What's going on during this time is there's roasted lamb that's out on that, that table. Can't partake of the lamb yet. You gotta go through the rituals. You gotta go through the ceremonies. And so think about, as they're there gathered around, it's like that Thanksgiving day, right, when the turkey's in the oven and you can all smell it and you're going, oh, I can't, can't wait to partake of this. That's what's going on at this Passover meal. They can smell the roasted lamb right there in the middle of this table. 
and they can't wait to get there. But there's some things that have to happen before that. They partake of the first cup. Then after they partake of this first cup, then they had the washing of the hands by the host. And the host would then come around to all of those that were there, all of the guests around the table, and he would be the one who would help them to wash their hands with some kind of of, a bucket, a pitcher of water. And he would come around and help them wash their hands. And he would make sure that everyone there was washing their hands. And they needed to do this. Why? Because they didn't have utensils back then. What did everyone eat with? Their hands. (laughs) So you wanted to make sure that everybody's got clean hands as the food was going to be passed around and everybody was going to put their hands on the food. And so they had the washing of the hands. Then after this, you had the first of two dippings. What's called the first of two dippings. This here, this first dipping, was the dipping of the vegetable, which was usually parsley dipped into salt water or a vinegar water. And they would dip that in there, and then they would eat it. This symbolized here the bitterness and the tears of Israel being in bondage in Israel or in Egypt. They would dip it in, they would eat it, and it would be very bitter. And they would do that to remind them of how hard it was when Israel was in Egypt, in bondage, in slavery. And that's what it symbolized, the first of two dippings. Then you had the eating of the unleavened bread, or what's called matzah. Maybe you've heard of that before. Matzah, unleavened bread. The bread was then passed around. That's why you needed clean hands. It was passed around, and everyone broke off a piece of it and ate it. And this was to symbolize how God had brought Israel out of Egypt quickly. Remember that? God brought them out quickly. There wasn't time for the bread to rise. Unleavened bread, that's all that they could eat. And it was like a big cracker, like a big saltine cracker. So they would pass that all around and everybody would break off a piece and then they would eat it. Now, at this time as well, they're eating unleavened bread and there could not be any leaven in the house. That was what the host would do as well. Before they prepared the meal, they would have to go through the entire house and make sure that all the leaven was taken out. No leaven allowed in there. They're eating then of this unleavened bread. After they then pass around the unleavened bread and everyone eats from it, then you would have the question from the youngest son. The youngest son would ask this, why do we celebrate this? Why why do they have the youngest son ask this question? Well, because it comes from Exodus 13, 14. And it shall be when your son asks you in time to come saying, what is this? Then you shall say to him, with a powerful hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. It was essentially to begin the story now. There was always a story time of how God brought Israel out of Egypt. They needed to be reminded of this every single year. Be reminded of the Exodus. And it was the job then of the youngest son to ask that question. Now, did somebody ask the question With Jesus and the disciples, we don't know. But there was a lot of teaching that happened, as we see in John 13 through 16. A lot of teaching. Four hours, remember, of these guys being together. A lot of teaching that's going on during this time. Then, after the question, after the question of the youngest son, then they would all sing together. They would sing And what they would sing here is the the first part of what's called the Hallel, the Hallel Psalms. The Hallel Psalms are found in Psalms 113 through 118. That's why in our our, um, call to worship this morning, we read from Psalm 113, 1 through 4. They would have sung Psalm 113 and Psalm 114 during this time. The Hallel Psalms. Hallel, 
What does Hallel mean? Hallel means praise. That's why when we say the word hallelujah, hallelujah means praise God. Some of you probably learned that song as a kid in Sunday school. Hallelujah, hallelujah, right? Praise ye the Lord. That's what it means. Praise the Lord. Praise God. And so they would sing the first part then of the Hallel Psalms, Psalms 113 through 114. After they got done then singing, then they would partake of the second cup of wine. Listen to this, the second cup of wine. This cup of wine was called the cup of deliverance. The cup of deliverance. God said back in Exodus 6, I will deliver you. That was the second I will statement there. I will deliver you. This is the cup of deliverance. The host would bless it, and then all would partake of this cup. They would take it together. Then, after you partook of that second cup of wine, then you had another eating of unleavened bread. This was the second dipping. Remember, the first dipping happened with the vegetable, the parsley, dipped in the, the salt water or the vinegar water. That was the first dipping. This now is a second dipping. And what would happen in the second dipping is they would take the unleavened bread and they would break off a piece and they would dip it in the bitter herbs, like the horseradish. And they would take it and they would dip it in there and then they would eat of it. They would take the bread and they would dip it into what was called maror, that bitter herbs. And listen to this. It was this dipping that signified the betrayal of Judas. This was the dipping. This was the dipping when Jesus was asked who would betray him. And he says in John 13, 26, that is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. This is the time in the Passover meal where Jesus dips and he gives it to who? To Judas, who is where? Right to his left, on his left side. And it was at this time that Jesus made it known to all of the disciples that one of them was going to betray him. And then the guys go around the table to try and clear their name. Remember that? We talked about that. They're all trying to clear their name. Not I. Not I, Lord. Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? And they're all going around trying to clear their name. And even Judas tried to clear his name by saying, Rabbi, is it I? To which Jesus responds, and what does he say? You have said it. You have said it. But still at this point, the disciples, they're all laying there around this table and they still don't realize that Judas is the one. They don't realize it. Listen to John 13, 26. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. After the morsel, Satan then entered into him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Now, no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. For some were supposing, because Judas had the money box that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things we have need of for the feast, or else that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel, he, that is Judas, went out immediately, and it was night. After dipping the piece of unleavened bread, what does Jesus do? He gives it to Judas. Why did Jesus do this? Listen to what one commentator says. It was not uncommon for the host of a banquet to pass a choice morsel of food to the guests as a gesture marking honor and camaraderie. Here, Jesus, listen to this, Jesus demonstrates a final gesture of friendship and love to Judas, even though Judas is about to betray him. 
It's one last attempt. It's the final one of saying, Judas, this is for you. I love you. Repent. But right after this, what did Judas do? He took it and he left. He left. He left the meal and he went out to betray his master. Now after this is when they would then have the meal. The meal would come. This is now the the, the climax of the meal when the, the Passover lamb now is eaten. They've been smelling it this whole time. They can't wait to get to the lamb, to eat of this. And during this time, then they would eat the lamb, they would eat the unleavened bread, and then they would drink wine during this time, the common cup of wine. Which now leads into our third and final point. The prescription at the Passover. The prescription at the Passover. Jesus prescribes something new during this meal. Look at verse 22, Mark 14 and verse 22. In our text, our passage here this morning, Mark 14 and verse 22 says, While they were eating, he, Jesus, took some bread, and after blessing, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take it, this is my body. During the meal, Jesus takes the matzah, the unleavened bread, And Jesus then gave a blessing. He gave a blessing. Or Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11.24, when he had given thanks. Now, let me just point something out to you here. Jesus did not bless the bread. He gave a blessing to God and thanked God for the bread. So often we will pray, and and, and I've done this before as well. Father, we, we pray that you would bless this food. Jesus didn't bless the food. Jesus thanked God for the food. As one commentator says, the object of the blessing in such a prayer was not the food, but God who gave it. God is to be the object of our prayers. God is to be the object of blessing and thankfulness for what he's provided for us. And that's what Jesus did as he broke this bread. And after giving thanks to the Father, he broke it and then he passed it out to who? The 11 who were with him at the table. Think about this. Jesus is instituting communion here. He is instituting the Lord's table. And there's a spot missing around the table. Why? Because Judas was not worthy to partake of this meal. He could not partake of this meal. That's why I give a warning before we partake of communion together as a church. This is not to be taken by unbelievers. Communion is a very serious thing. It's a very serious time. And there's a warning that should be given out to everyone to say, look, this time here is only for believers. That's what Christ did when he instituted it. The unbeliever, he left. He was gone. And it was then that Jesus instituted communion. As some put it, Jesus was fencing the communion table. He was putting a fence around the communion table. I went to a church one time where they had what they call open communion. They just told everyone, 
After the message got done, we're going to sing a few more songs. And if anybody wants to partake of communion this morning, we've got some baskets up here at the front of the stage. You can come up and there's some cups that are there. You can partake if you want to. There's a few baskets in the back there. Whenever you want to just partake of communion, for whoever wants to partake of communion, it's up to you. There was no partaking of communion together as a church. There was no reminder or teaching of why you even partake of communion. What does Paul tell us? Why do we partake of communion? To remember the Lord's death until he comes. That's the purpose of it. But at this place, it was just open for anyone and everyone to partake of. But it wasn't that way for Jesus. He wasn't about to let Judas partake of this important meal. Why? Well, look at what Jesus says. Jesus says, take it. This is my body. This is my body. Now, we know that Jesus used many kinds of illustrations to give spiritual truths, right? We understand that, that Jesus uses illustrations. He was the master illustrator in teaching. For example, Jesus said in John 6, 54, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him on the last day. We know that Jesus doesn't mean that we're to become cannibals. We understand that. We get that it's symbolic. And as believers, we understand this metaphor. We get this. And Jesus is not saying here that the bread becomes his body. The bread is no more his body than he is a literal door, which is what Jesus says in John chapter 10 and verse 9. I am the door. We understand illustration, metaphor that he's using to teach. When Jesus says, take it, this is my body, he's using figurative language and he's now giving new meaning to the bread. What did the bread represent? What did it represent before? The quickness in which God got them out of Egypt, right? They didn't have time for the bread to rise. No leaven could be put into it. That's what it represented. But what does Jesus do now with the bread? He changes it. And he says, this is my body. He gives new meaning to the bread. For centuries, the Jews had celebrated Passover and they would look at that bread and be reminded of how quickly God brought them out of Egypt. But now Jesus is giving new meaning to the bread. It represents his body that will soon be given for them. It will be his body that will go through the pain and the suffering and the agony on that cross. It is his body that will endure the beatings and the whippings and the crown of thorns. It is his body that hangs on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. It's his body. It's his sacrifice. It's what he has done for us. And that bread that they are partaking of is a reminder for them and a reminder for all of us of what Jesus went through as he hung there on that cross as his body hung on that cross and he took the wrath of God upon himself so that you and I could be saved from our sins. And when we partake of the bread, when we celebrate communion on the third Sunday of every month, when we partake of the bread, that is what we are to remember. That's why Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11.24, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We are to remember what Christ has done for us and all that he went through to pay for our sins. Those of you who grew up in the Catholic Church know that the Roman Catholic Church teaches what is called transubstantiation. Long word, here's what it means. 
that the bread literally becomes the body of Christ. Transubstantiation. It's wrong. That would mean that every time that they partake of communion, they are re-sacrificing Christ again and again. But Hebrews 9.27 says, And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation. He died once. And when we partake of communion, we are remembering that one sacrifice. We are not re-sacrificing Christ again and again. That's heresy. We would never do that. Because his one sacrifice paid for all the sins of all who would come to him and believe. We remember what he did. He died once. And now when we partake of communion... We do it in remembrance of what Christ has done for us. But Christ didn't stop at the bread. Look at verse 23. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. Luke tells us that this was done after they had eaten. After they had eaten. Now remember, at the meal, at this point, They have already drunk the first two cups of wine, right? They've already partaken of those. They have now finished the meal, the lamb and the unleavened bread. They have now finished it, but Passover doesn't stop at the end of that meal of eating of the lamb. There are still two more cups to go. And Jesus now takes the third cup. This cup here is called, listen to this, the cup of redemption. It's the cup of redemption. God said in Exodus 6, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And Jesus gives thanks to the Father and then he gives it to them to drink. And they drank from what? The cup of of redemption. That's the cup that Christ used to institute communion. It's the cup of redemption. And Christ used the cup of redemption because God was about to redeem them by the payment of the blood of his son. Jesus hung on that cross and his blood spilled down and it was his blood, his life that was given as a payment for our sins, right? To redeem us. Jesus institutes communion with the cup of redemption. Verse 24 says, And he said to them, This is my blood, of the covenant which is poured out for many. Matthew tells us, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. This was the the new covenant that God would establish, not with the blood of a lamb, but with the blood of who? The lamb. The lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Jesus went to that cross and he made the payment for us. He established the new covenant. As one commentator says, it's a covenant, a sacred binding contract with his blood. That's what Jesus did for us. It's a done deal. It's a done deal. The new covenant has been established and all who place their faith in Him have the promise of forgiveness of all sins. Of your past sins, your present sins, and all of your future sins have all been cleansed. They have all been forgiven through faith in Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
We have the promise of the forgiveness of sins and we have the promise of eternal life. Not because of what we have done, but because of the shed blood of Christ on the cross. It's because of what He has done for us. Notice what it says at the end of Mark 14, 23. Notice what it says there at the end of verse 23. And they all drank from it. They all drank from it. That there shows the fellowship that they all had under the new covenant. This is why we call it communion. Because we commune together. We're partaking in fellowship with one another. That is why we always partake of it together. That's why we don't have open communion. And we won't ever have open communion for people just to come and take whenever they want to. Because we're to partake of this together as they all drank from it together. You realize that when we partake of communion together, we proclaim not only the death of Christ, but also that we are united in Christ? That's what we are proclaiming to the world. The world will ask, why do you guys do that? What's that whole bread juice thing all about? Let me tell you. First, let me tell you all about Christ. And secondly, let me tell you, we do it because we are in fellowship with one another. And you can be in fellowship with, with us as well. But the only way that happens is through repentance and faith in Christ. And if you do that, then you can be in fellowship with us. But if you don't do that, you're not in fellowship. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. You see that? Oneness. That's what we are showing the world. That's what we are proclaiming, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we have one Father, and we are His children. We're unified with one mind, united in Christ, just as those men were all united in Christ that night around the table. Well, there's one more cup to drink. One more cup to drink. That is the cup of consummation. The cup of consummation. But look at what Jesus says in verse 25. Look at this. Truly I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Look at this. Watch this. Jesus did not drink of the final cup. He did not drink it. There was no drinking of that final cup. Why? It's the cup of consummation. Taken from Exodus 6-7. Then I will take you for my people and I will be your God. Listen to what one commentator says about this. Because it is the cup of consummation and life in the promised land of God. That's why he didn't partake of the cup of consummation. Because we're not there yet. But what does he say? He says that I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until... Until, we talked about this on Wednesday night, that word until means timing, right? Until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. That cup he didn't drink. That cup he would have to wait for. Because first, Jesus had to go and drink of the cup of God's wrath. That was the cup he was to drink. 
and he drank it all. And he died on that cross and took upon himself the wrath of God so that all who believe in him would never have to endure God's wrath. That's the cup Jesus drank from. And he drank it all. Now, will Jesus drink of the cup of consummation? Yes, he will. He will. When will he drink it? In the kingdom. He will drink it in the kingdom. Although we celebrate communion now, in the kingdom we will celebrate the Passover. Listen to Ezekiel 45, 21. It tells us, speaking of the time of the millennial kingdom, it says this, in the first month, on the 14th day of the month, you shall have the Passover, a feast of seven days. Unleavened bread shall be eaten. But at that time, it won't be celebrated to remember the Exodus. It will be celebrated to remember the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what that Lamb will represent. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He will drink of the cup of consummation. Because God has taken us to be his people, right? And he will be our God forever when we're there in the kingdom. Well, at the end of the Passover meal, they would finish up what they started in the Hallel. Remember they sang the Hallel? Now they would sing Psalm 115 through 118 which is exactly what verse 26 says. Notice what it says there. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Listen, these guys got to hear Jesus sing. <laughs> I bet he outsung all of them. We know he did. Imagine that voice. They got to hear our Savior sing. What did he sing? The final part of the Hillel, Psalm 115 through 118. This was an amazing time. These final words that they would sing in the upper room. Turn over to Psalm 118 with me. I want to show you these words that they would have sung as they now come to the end of this Passover meal. Psalm 118, finishing up the Hallel, the praise psalms. Look at verse 22 in Psalm 118. Verse 22, this is what they would have sung the end as they're ending this meal here. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Oh Lord, do save, we beseech you. Oh Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I give thanks to you. You are my God, I extol you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. That's what they sung at the end of this meal. And Jesus is now hours away from being rejected. And what does it say there in verse 22? The stone which the builders, what? Rejected has become the chief cornerstone. He's it. He's the stone that they rejected. But he has become our chief cornerstone. Amen? Well, after finishing that hymn, Closing out the meal, 
They then head outside of the city back to the Mount of Olives, which would have been their usual route every night as they went out of the city because remember, they didn't stay in Jerusalem. They went out to Bethany to go and stay. So that would have been their usual route. And there's some news, though, that Jesus breaks to these guys on their way there out to the Mount of Olives, which is what we will look at next time. Let's pray. Father, what an amazing Amazing Passover meal. The final Passover meal. The meal in which communion is instituted. The meal in which the bread was partaken and the the wine was partaken to remember what Christ has done for us. Father, we thank you for his body and we thank you for his blood that was spilled for us on that cross at Calvary. Father, I pray for anyone who is here this morning that does not know Christ as Lord and Savior. I pray that you would draw them to repentance and faith in you. That they would would look at Christ. That they would see him as Savior, and that they would declare him as Lord, that they would be redeemed, that they would be saved by you. Father, please do your work in their heart, a work that only you can do, and draw them to yourself. May they become a child of you today because of what you have done. We thank you for our amazing Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, our perfect Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We thank you that he drank that final cup on the cross, the cup of your wrath, and that by his blood we are redeemed. Father, I pray that we would love you more that this would change our hearts, that we would love Christ more, and that we would live for you and for your glory. We pray all of this in his name. Amen.